priests, the Shilakim, the called out ones in chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. And let us begin as we review verse 1 and going forward. And after we had torn ourselves from the Ephesian elders, we set sail and made a straight run to Cus. And the next day we went on to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And on finding a ship that was crossing over to Phoenicia, we embarked and set sail. And after sighting Cyprus, we passed off on its left and sailed to Syria and landed at Zeor. Because there was the ship, that was where the ship was unloading its cargo. Having searched out the Talmudim, the disciples there, we remained there for a week, guided by the Spirit. They told Shaul not to go up to Yushalayim. But when the week was over, we left to continue our journey. All of them with their wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the town. Kneeling on a bench and praying, we said goodbye to each other. Then we boarded the ship and then we returned home. Where was home for Rav Shaul, but the land of Israel? When the voyage from Zeor was over, we arrived at Potilimus, and there we were greeted the brothers and stayed with them overnight. And following day, we left and came to Caesarea, and there we stayed with them. He had four unmarried daughters with the gift of prophecy. While we were staying there, a prophet named Agav came down from Yehuda to visit us. He took Shaul's belt and tied his own hands and feet and said, Here's what the Ruach HaKodesh says, the man who owns this belt. The Judeans in Jerusalem will tie him up and hand him over to the Gentiles. And we heard this, both we and the people there begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. But Shaul answered, What are you doing, crying and trying to weaken my resolve? I'm prepared not only to be tied up, but also even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when he would not be convinced, he said, May the Lord's will be done. And we kept quiet. You know what's amazing? That in Philippians, it says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For my life now is Messiah, and to death is yet to gain. For truly this apostle, this sent one, was willing to lay down his life for the kingdom. Let us continue here. Verse 15. So at the end of our stay, we packed and went up to Jerusalem, and with us went some of the Talmudim from Caesarea. They brought us to the home of the man with whom we were to say, his name was Mason from Cyprus, who had been a Talmud since the early days. In Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Shaul and the rest of us went to see Yaakov and the elders there 
were present. And now as we dig a little bit deeper here, who was this Yaakov? Was it the brother of James? No. This was Yaakov, Yeshua's eldest brother. And how do we know this? We know this because of God's word that speaks pertaining to Yeshua's brothers and sisters. Many of us don't focus on these verses, but today we really should. As we look here to um, Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 54. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 54. What is happening here? But Yeshua is in his own town. He's in his own village. And he's been at the synagogue. And the people that they're there, they're just totally amazed. Because they notice the miracles. They notice the power of God being released through Yeshua. Just as people had seen the power of God being manifest through Rav Shaul. And so now as we look at Matthew 13 verse 54, we hear of their opinion. And to his hometown, there he taught them in their synagogues. Who is this but Yeshua? In a way that astounded them. So they asked, where did this man's wisdom and miracles come from? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Miriam? And his brother is Yaakov. Remember in Acts chapter 21, it speaks of a Yaakov. This is the same Yaakov or Jacob. This is not the brother of Yohanan John. And it goes on here to list the names of Yeshua's brothers. Yaakov is listed first. Second is Yosef, Joseph. And then there is Simon, which is Simon. Next is Yehuda, Judah. And verse 56, and his sisters. Have you ever noticed in the Brit Hadashah, it lists his sisters, but it never gives their names. I look forward in heaven to be introduced to not only Yeshua's brothers, but also to his sisters. Continuing here, aren't they all with us? And so where does he get all this? And the scripture goes on to say, and they took offense at him, but Yeshua said to them, the only place people don't respect a prophet is in his own hometown and in his own house. And he did few miracles there because of their lack of trust. As Now as we dig a little bit deeper here, Yaakov, who is now the head of the congregation there, the Messianic community in Jerusalem, at first, he did not believe that his brother was the Messiah. But when did this change in his life come? 
He came to trust later as a result of seeing what? His elder brother being raised from the dead. It was an undeniable proof. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7, it speaks of, of him believing in the resurrected of Messiah, Yeshua. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7, it talks in the prior verses there of, the, of Yeshua appearing to the original 11. But then it says later on, he also appeared to Yaakov, this Jacob. So this Yaakov, he was among the 120 who were present in the upstairs room during Shavuot, found where? In Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Later, he became the Messianic uh, Jewish leader of the congregation in Jerusalem. Where is that found? In Acts 15, 13. And also referred in Acts 21, 18. Also in Galatians 2, 9 and 12. I'm not expecting you to turn to all these verses, but this is homework for us so that we can spend time digging deeper in God's word. He was also the author of the book written in the Brit Hadashah of Yaakov. Most Bible translations, it is James. And if you would turn there to James chapter 1 verse 1, what does it say? What does it reveal to us? Who is the author of the book of James? See, scripture upon scripture, we are able to discern God's truth and God's word. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So as you're turning with me, to the book of James. What does it say? From Yaakov, a slave of God, and of the Lord Yeshua, the, to the Messiah. And he's writing to whom? To the twelve tribes in the diaspora. Shalom. Regard it all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of temptations, for you know that testing of your trust produces perseverance. But let perseverance do its complete work so that you may be complete, whole of lacking of nothing. And so if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to us generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him also ask and trust, doubting nothing. For the doubter is like a wave in the sea being tossed and driven by the wind. Indeed, that person should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded and unstable in his ways. Let the brother in humble circumstances boast about his high position. But let the rich brother boast about his being humbled, since like a wild flower he will pass away. For just as the sun rises with and dries up the plant, so its flower falls off and its beauty is destroyed. So the rich person is going about his business will wither also away. And so he was the chief rabbi, the chief 
leader of this Jerusalem congregation. So in Yaakov chapter 1, verse 1, see, because who was the first leader after Yeshua? It was Kepha, but later it was passed on to him because Kepha went about and he began to share the good news with many people as he went forward. So now let us go back to Acts chapter 21 and continuing here at verse 18. The next day, Shaul and the rest of us went to see Yaakov, and all the elders were present. And after reading them, Shaul described in detail each of the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his efforts. So he was not boasting in this. He simply was sharing what God had done and accomplished through him to bringing the nation because the nations were to receive the light of the Jewish people. Because where does salvation come? Comes through God, through Messiah, by the power and equipping of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the living God, but it's sent to the nations so that they can come to know God, Abba Father God. So going forward here, going a little bit deeper, Shaul does not even mention about the great collection. Remember, on his last third journey that he's now accomplished, he was going to these different Messianic communities of both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, and he was taking up offerings for those suffering poor that were part of the Messianic community in Jerusalem. He doesn't even mention that because he wants to glorify God. And let the people know, the elders here, because he's given a report. See, he's not unto himself. He's not a prophet that's running to and fro, that does not have to give an account to other brothers. Any man or woman of God that runs to and fro and does not have to give an account is not willing to submit to one another I truly believe is not walking and being moved by the Spirit of the living God. Because when God gives you a gift of preaching and teaching or prophesying, any one of these gifts, he gives it as the body of Messiah so they will be all uplifted and exalted. We become like the world, do we not, when we have these superstars. We build up individuals. We place them on an altar. And that's the Father's place in our lives through his son, Yeshua. Many times we try to be like the world and we should refrain from doing that. So he was bringing with them this offering, but his whole concern were on the things of God among the nations. So he's not boasting to the elders but he's bringing them up to date what God has been accomplished. Because remember this, that in Damascus, when he had those scales over his eyes and God sent a prophet who was terrified because he truly believed that his life would would come to an end immediately because he was a follower of the way. As Yeshua spoke, the way, the truth, and the life only comes through Yeshua. And so when that prophet of God came and he spoke 
And he laid hands on Rav Shaul, and those scales fell from his eyes. What was revealed through that prophet? But Rav Shaul was going to be sent to whom? But to the nations to proclaim the good news. And now for three years he had been out doing this work. If you notice, every time when he came back to Jerusalem, on each one of these missionary journeys, to the, first to the Jewish people and then to the nations, he always came back and he gave a report of what God was accomplishing through that ministry. So let us continue here back in verse 20. On hearing this, they praised God, but they also said to him, You see, brother, how many tens of thousands of believers are among the Judeans? And they are what? They are all zealous for the Torah. So this is many tens of thousands of those even from Judea who had given their lives and hearts to Messiah Yeshua. And they had been transformed. They were no longer doing the things of their old ways. Did they stop being Jews? Absolutely not. So now, continuing here, as we go forward, back to verse, Acts chapter 21, verse 21. Now, what they had been told about you is that now you're teaching all the Jews living among the Gentiles to apostatize from Moshe and telling them not to have the Brit Milah for their sons and not to follow the traditions. And so with this, the scripture continues. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. We have four men who are under now a vow. So now he's now listening. He's not saying, well, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to plead my case before them. I'm going to prove them wrong. But he's he's open up to instruction. Because he knows this, that he has put his trust in these elders in Jerusalem in the past. And they were able to speak into his life. And where there need of correction, there was correction. Or if there was need of sound counsel, because he knew that the Spirit of the living God also spoke through them. And he was willing to listen. So now we're going to go into more detail about this vow here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What they have been told about you. See, there were all these rumors being spread throughout Jerusalem. So going forward here. They had been told a lie and a rumor that had spread. Gossip had circulated. The problem as becomes evident immediately was not what Shaul had done. For he had done nothing that these people had been told. But how to deal with the situation where people are misinformed 
and feelings are run high because what? They are zealous for the Torah. And so, you know what? We can look at this today as when we face false accusation, maybe in our workplace or in our neighborhood, when people misperceive what we're doing and then they start, the tongues start to wag and the lies proceed. Because you know what? Who comes alongside them and fills their minds with rumors and lies, but the father of lies. Who wants to trip us up as we serve the Lord on this earth? But Hasatan himself and his horde of demons. They want to cause our witness to be seen as not true. So going forward here, what had they been told? that you're teaching all the Jews among the nations, living among the Gentiles and the nations outside of Israel in the diaspora to apostatize. And what does that Greek apostasia mean? It means literally standing apart. It means an outward, bold act of rebellion from God's word. From Moshe, that is, from the Torah God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And from the Jewish law. And for us to step back for a moment and think, what are the Jewish people and Rav Shaul now celebrating? But Shavuot, which is what? The exact date and time that God gave the Torah, the Ten Commandments, to Moses on Mount Sinai. And let us not also forget that it was on this exact date in Acts chapter 2 where the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God, to give us the right interpretation how so, so that we can fulfill Torah in our lives through Yeshua was being filled in that 120. This is a great time of significance here. So let us go forward here. So this is the portion. Apostasy consists of two parts. First, telling them not to have their sons circumcised within this text here and not to follow the traditions. The importance of circumcision has already been discussed in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and also Acts 16, 1 through 3. Opposing the, that embodies the Jewish distinctiveness would be tantamount to teaching that Jewish people as such are unimportant and have no future, which is exactly what replacement theology does teach. So going forward here, not following the traditions mean not observing the Torah. So going forward, the accusation against Shaul then was that he was a traitor to the Jewish people who taught all Jews over the whole diaspora to cease functioning as Jews. Here are the three points to refute these charges. Number one, Saul himself did not violate Torah himself, but continued to keep in it it after coming to trust in Yeshua. He had what? Here's your example. Timothy circumcised in Acts 16.3. 
He kept numerous Jewish customs, taking a vow in Acts 18, verse 18, and observing the Jewish festivals in Acts 16, paying the vow, ending the sacrifices now for these four men in the temple, Acts 21, verses 23 through 27, evidently fasting on Yom Kippur, Acts chapter 27, Verse 9, he regularly attended synagogue services and was welcome to teach in them, Acts 17.2. As a Messianic Jew, he remained a Pharisee. How can you say that, Rabbi? What is recorded in Acts chapter 23, verse 6? Thus he could say that he believed everything in accordance with the Torah, Acts 24.14 that he had committed no offense against the Torah, Acts 25.8, and that he had a clear conscience in the sight of God and man, Acts 24.16. Against his claims, his accusers failed to make a case in court, Acts chapter 31.31. At the end of Rashul's ministry, he continued to assert exactly the opposite what he was charged with, and here saying, I've done nothing against either the people or the traditions of our fathers, Acts 28, 17. Now, as we continue here, the second point is this, Shaul's teaching not to circumcise. In 1 Corinthians 7, 18 and Galatians 5, 2 through 6, and 6, 12 through 15, and not to observe Jewish laws and customs, Galatians 4, 8, 8 through 11, Corinthians 2, 16, 23, were never directed to Jews, but they were invariably only to the Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles had to be reassured that they were saved and incorporated into the people of God, grafted in to the olive tree, okay, by trusting through the Messiah Yeshua and not by observing this or that set of Jewish practices or to converting to Judaism. For although Judaism acknowledged that the righteous Gentile had a share in the world to come, there was in the first century a strong movement for Jewish Protestantism, that is converting Gentiles into Jews, but it was done by the Pharisees. And think about this. Rav Shaul was a Pharisee. And at one time, he believed that Gentiles should be converted into Judaism. But once he came to know Yeshua as the Messiah, and as the Spirit of the living God revealed to them that the, that the uh, Gentiles did not have to convert to Judaism, that simply for them putting their trust and abstaining from meat that, or animals that would be offered as idols and fornication, that they could walk and be seen as righteous Gentiles in Messiah. So going forward here, part three, 
Shaul did not need to instruct the diaspora Jews to observe Torah, for there was no shortage of what? Rabbis and teachers to exhort them. Where is that mentioned? But in Acts 15.21. Moreover, what in the Tanakh could be clearer than the Jews were expected to keep Torah? The Brit Hadishah, the New Testament, does not repeat the truths evident from the Tanakh. It assumes them. Shaul assumed them also. Thus, we dispose of the indictment against Shaul. But this verse also hints at a crucial question for today's Messianic Jewish believers. Should Messianic Jews keep the law? Many Orthodox and conservative Jews have a strong commitment to their religion who consider obedience to the law to be the central distinctive of Judaism and have been told that Christianity teaches Jews to what? To apostatize from Moshe, telling them not to have their sons circumcised and not to follow traditions. Believing in that, they are likely to consider Messianic Judaism not Judaism at all. Now, Dr. David Stern shares some things here I'd like to share with everyone. Dr. David Stern says how Messianic Jews should relate to the law is far too broad of an issue to discuss now. But he has dealt this throughout his book, The Messianic Jewish Manifesto, especially in chapter 5 of the Torah. So on the other hand, while Messianic Jews do circumcise their sons and follow the traditions, there are non-Messianic Jews who accuse them of deception. So going forward here back to the scripture. In verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So, what, so do what we tell you. We have four men now under a vow. Take them with you to be purified and pay the expenses connected with having their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is nothing to these rumors which have been, they have heard about you. But on the contrary, stay in line and keep Torah. So we're going to end today's message right there. Because the next time I'm going to go in more detail about this vow that Rav Shaul went and paid for these four men. That this was a, an example to everyone that was looking from near and far. That he had not forsaken God's word. He had not now become, stopped be, being a Jew. But he, he honored God's word. And honored God's desire for him to be what? To be a Jew first, but also to be a messenger to the Gentile world. And he did not mix things up, but he showed God's clear plan. And for us to fully understand that today, blessed be the name of the Lord. Shabbat Shalom. And thank